This is exactly right. On the 12th season of Tenfold More Wicked, we investigate a series of compelling mysteries from the city of Fall River, Massachusetts, where problems started generations before Lizzie Borden's murders made her a household name. Join me as we cover the misfortunes that have befallen this infamous town for more than 150 years, including the Great Fire of 1843. Season 12 premieres Monday, May 13th on Exactly Right. Follow Tenfold More Wicked on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, let's podcast. Hello, welcome to My Favorite Murder. That's Karen. That's Georgia. Hi. Um, I'm in my element right now. I'm double fisting petting cats. And <laughs> it's my dream. That's how Georgia parties. Yeah. Um, we just got back from our the last weekend of our first tour. That's right. Thank you, Washington, D.C. Thank you, Baltimore. Thank you, Philly. Dude. Ford slash Glenside, Pennsylvania. We had the best weekend. We met so many great people. So many incredible people. They sent us home with so many lovely presents. Oh, my God. My my suitcase was crammed. And uh, we just gave Stephen many, many of the presents yeah. that you gave us to give him. Yeah. After we picked what we wanted out of his gifts. Yes. We, There's lots of stuff that we didn't tell him about that nope. we're just keeping. He'll never know. Little mustache things that we get to have. <laughs> um, but uh, we did want to mention, it was very exciting because this time it felt like, and maybe it was the area that we were in. Oh, yeah, Washington, yeah. Uh, we met uh, we met a forensic analyst. We met a criminal defense attorney. Who listened to the show, not just on the street. Right, yes. <laughs> they came to the show. Yeah. They bought VIP tickets. They had a, hi, hi, how are you? Take a picture with us. And it was very exciting to be meeting actual people. Oh. What was that? That was... I don't know my microphone. Oh my god, George's Go, microphone's leaving. Um, they were uh, people who are in the business of stopping crime who listened to this podcast, which we were very, very honored by, and thank you all for what you do and for listening. But the most exciting part, uh, I'll talk slowly so that while Stephen fixes George's <laughs> microphone, she can still participate. Don't tell all the story without me, Stephen. Hurry. Um, Thanks, he did Steven. it. Wow, that was fast. Um, the most exciting for, well, I'll say for me, I think for you too. Oh, I started cry- crying. Um, when we were in Baltimore, uh, the Rams head, thank you everybody, the Rams head, that mm-hmm. was a really cool, like, rock and roll venue. Totally. <laughs> so hilarious. So weird. Like, you could smell the sticky beer from decades past. Yeah, the Pixies were playing the night after right. us, which we were freaking out about. Yeah. Um, we kept saying we were, we were trying to, we wanted to leave something for Kim Deal somewhere in the dressing mm-hmm. room. But anyway, um, these two guys walk up in the meet and greet and flip out uh, an ID, their federal ID, and it turned out two FBI agents were at the show. And he knew to flip his ID open because we'd lose our shit. So yes. he walks towards us, like in the copiest, copiest cop manner. I think he was like six foot six. Listen. Both of them were. Both of them were incredibly handsome. They were two hot FBI Tall. agents with big smiles on their faces doing a bit for us. And they looked... They looked like FBI agents, young ones that, but were cool. 
Yes. Not that, you know what I mean? Yes. Well, no, they were great and yeah. they were super funny because they immediately were doing a bit about the girl that did a hometown. And Georgia, this was my favorite part is I was com- immediately just like, a, I had no idea what to say. And I was completely like starstruck where I'm like, I looked at this guy's ID, but and Georgia, I was like, this is fake yells across me and goes, move your finger, your fingers covering your face. And it was, it was just the way he flipped open his like wallet looking ID, FBI agent ID. His finger was over his own face, which is like a trick people use when they're trying to trick you into like getting into your car. Totally. I've which always, then he started laughing because she moved his finger. And of course it was him. I did not believe him. And, and I was like, that's a fucking age old. Everyone knows that trick. And then it turns out it was not a trick. They were two real deal FBI agents who worked for... They worked uh, for the um, anti-terrorism squad. I don't know if that's a thing. I doubt it's a squad. (laughs) (laughs) A gang, right? The anti-terrorism gang. And then the reason the other guy was with him was because um, the first guy who covered his face was supposed to go with his girlfriend or fiance. Fiance. She got deployed to Afghanistan. Yes. I think she was the forensic pathologist. Maybe. Yeah, she definitely worked in the biz as well. But she was also in the military because she got deployed to, was it Afghanistan? It was totally Afghanistan. And we were just like, you're, 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 the three of you are rock stars. You're living a life very different from ours. And also we talk about what you do all the time as if we're experts. And now you're here as, as like audience members. Yeah. Uh, but you're actually the experts. It was the coolest experience. I asked so many of the experts who were like, I do this. I asked most of them, are you mad at us? Yeah. <laughs> and it turns out none of them none are of mad, them at are us. mad at us. Oh, and then the cop. No, wait, was that Austin? The cop with the eyeball killer. That was. Oh, yeah, it was. That was at Moon DC. Tower, right? <laughs> it was Moon Tower. No, I think it was DC with the pregnant chick. No, that was. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> are you sure he, i think it was dc because the cop they were having a cop convention remember you're exactly right and oh that's God. why he was there so there was the guy with the eyeball killer that we did a couple few up long time ago yeah um i don't know how many episodes we've recorded i'm like this is this is number 10 right <laughs> uh he wanted to meet us he like tweeted that he was in town for a cop convention and I was like, oh, God, are you mad at us? Because <laughs> I or mad at me because I have no idea what I said about you in the episode. Mm-hmm. But the, his uh, daughter-in-law came in pregnant and was like, no, he thinks you're great. Here's a signed copy of his book. But I'm sorry. All of that is right, except it wasn't the pregnant girl that was separate. It there was, was three two pregnant. There girls. were three girls. The eyeball, all, the eyeball killers. Wasn't it his stepdaughter? Yeah, something like that. And they were it was her and her two friends. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter. Whatever. It, it doesn't matter it doesn't at all, matter. except for that we have these great experiences with people for 45 seconds and then another experience happens right after. It's very hard to keep them all track. Yeah. But we like them all. The The bummer was he was there and he waiting outside, but we had no yeah. ability like it was the end and we didn't have the ability to get him inside. I feel like someday soon we're going to post the Philly episode. It was the last episode and it was sweet as fuck. I thought. Some girl um, that I should be able to name 
recorded the stay sexy don't get murder part that we the crowd yells with us uh-huh. and i put it on instagram and it's, it's just so sweet it's like sweet as in like sweet it's just like this great moment oh cool that i love um, cool. i love when we do that at the end it's so much fun it's very fun and all three shows were great and all three audiences were like one was better than the next they were just like it they were all so great and fun and excited and thank you all so so much for yeah. being there and yes stop asking us on twitter we're gonna come to your town yeah we will uh, uh yeah there's a planned fall tour yeah we just want to keep doing it yeah so. listen so saying the word australia and that's all i'm saying um that's right and say the word new zealand because that's also in there too. and new zealand and yes we're coming to your california no your state <laughs> we're coming to your personal california <laughs> Um, Anyways, it's what your California is like. This is my California, but yeah. maybe Texas is your California. Right. Yeah. Like, who? what's your California? What's your California? Um, we also thank you for sharing the news that Ian Brady is dead. That was your your murder. That's the Moore's murder. Yeah. Um, I thought he was dead. Who cares? <laughs> he was right? never going to get out. I mean, whatever. He yeah. died. Okay. He died. I mean, it's great because he's a murderer and he deserves to be dead, but okay. Now he is. Um but the thing a lot of people were very excited about is the very recent casting of Zac Efron to play the part of Ted Bundy. They were excited, but there were some weren't some, you know, they, you just you guys seem to want to know what our opinion was, because you had said, um, who was the guy that you said should play him? Never mind, but no recollection, even though I remember us talking about okay. it. Okay, I'll be able to remember it. Steven. Um, Steven's like, I don't listen to this. Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of it? I, I fucking dig it. Yeah, I, at first I was like, huh? But then I remembered, you know, he does these goofy movies, but he's also done some cool shit and he's a good actor. Seems like a cool dude. And then someone put a photo side by side of like a, a young Ted Bundy and like a photo that kind of matched of Zac Efron. And it was just exactly what it was supposed to be. Yeah. So if he can if he can act it, man, it'll be legit. What and I think? tell you now, he can act it. Yeah. Because I may have I may have been keeping this uh, to myself up until this point. Although I can't imagine why, because I I love the movie. Did you date seventeen him? again? No. Yes, he was my lover in the mid nineties when he was twelve. Um, the movie Seventeen Again, mm-hmm. I believe it's called, with him and Tom Lennon, where he plays his own father. Yeah. He is so brilliant in it. That he must is, be the one I was thinking of. Yeah, it's such good acting. It's yeah. a Disney movie and it's a body switch. You know, I'm young again. Yeah. He, it's Matt, it's basically Zach Efron doing an impression of Matthew Perry. Right. And it is so fucking great. Yeah. My sister made me watch it the, for the first time. She's like, you have to watch it. So you'll like it. And I have to trust her when she says that because yeah. she's always right. And it is, it's just, masterful acting by him he doesn't get enough credit for what a good actor he is and he tries to do interesting stuff yeah my only thing was uh april texted me my friend april richardson of go bayside Mm. podcast fame she texted me it was like i know i'm the one millionth person to tell you this but did you know zach efron (laughs) and she's like and what do you think and i said you're the millionth person that's asked but um i'm you're the first person i'm answering and i said I'm, I believe in him 1000%. He just has to beef down because he's too cut right now. Yeah. It's like, it's that like seventies cut, which is like super skinny, but also muscular, but there's no like sinewy. Sinewy. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. He definitely has to do that, but he's like a bike rider as opposed to a weightlifter. I'm just, yeah. I'm just excited to see it. I mean, there's not really a good one. 
at all. There's the Mark Harmon one, which is fine, but it's like a made-for-TV movie, right. so it's not like gruesome um, and realistic. Right? It's not. It's not scholastic. It's not scholastic. It's not realistic. <laughs> it's not bombastic. <laughs> it's none of those things. Um, I think it'll be good. Also, because. I think people are just like, let's ride this fucking true crime oh. wave as hard as we can. Fuck so yeah. people are seeing that there's so much interest. They've just combined two great things, which is like, what a girl's like, true crime yeah. and Zac Efron. Totally. Let's do this thing. Speaking of, l- listen, next week, we're going to talk about the Dee Dee Blanchard and Gypsy Rose documentary that's on HBO. So go watch it. Um, and then we're, we're going to watch it and talk about it. But yeah. it's definitely something we want to chat with you about yes um i can't wait to see it it's called mommy dearest and dead yes so go to hb it's on hbo i think i'm pretty sure it is pretty sure uh go watch that yeah go watch yourself um a bunch of people have watched it and asked us about it georgia did her homework i did not so i I didn't want to out you i mean thank you did you hear me say that we're gonna watch it yes it was that's called teamwork and i appreciate it but um karen didn't do it and i did it (laughs) can you imagine oh my god what a cunt i would be (laughs) There was some. Was there something in there that really wanted to do that though? Because no, <laughs> I was like, how do I get around saying this? Well, that was masterful. Well, I appreciate I just, it. Yeah, I pretend that I hadn't <clears throat> either. Thank, Thank you. you. You took that hit, Stephen. Did you watch it? Not yet. Okay, Stephen. All right, so get on, on it. It is on HBO though. Okay, okay good. Two against one. <laughs> Mimi, Elvis. It's always two against one in this setup. <laughs> um, no, but I can't wait because. Uh, I believe Jamie Lee did it at our right. New York, our live New York episode, which we never aired, right? Did we not? I have no idea. I have no idea. Oh, we either. did. We did. Yeah. God, okay. It. Good. Okay. <laughs> so I'm um, glad Stephen's here to <laughs> to tell us what our life is. Yeah. But I, on that per- particular story, no information is enough. So the fact that yes. someone has put together an actual documentary and has her, um, Gypsy today. Talking. Oh my god! There's an interview, a prison interview, and the whole time I was just like, "Do I believe her?" You cannot tell, and then you're like, "Is she crying tears or is she just sounding like?" She-? And there's so much shit. And then I didn't know the background of the mom, so that was really fucking interesting. That's in there as well. Oh my god! And I can't wait. I know it's I very much liked it. I think. And the and the exciting part is, um, which a bunch of people told us, and we discovered the director. I don't have her name handy. Is a murderino, right? Who somebody posted a thing that said, "Look when the when this um, famous documentary filmmaker just shows up on our yeah. Facebook page, like so, commenting on it, like thanks, I'm glad you guys liked it." Yeah, so cool, it's so cool. So we'll tell you guys who it is next week. We'll write it down. We'll have uh, a whole prepared thing. Well, we'll talk. Imagine. We'll chat. Um, oh, I wanted to say so. My in the vein of we love it when just suddenly people re- like come out of the woodwork that you would never know have a murder and then they tell you about it like your uncle did that right like oh i caught the fucking oh yeah my cousin marty uh is the one that lifted the richard right. ramirez's fingerprints at the last breaking and entering in san francisco where they figured out who the night stalker was and then you were like why didn't you tell me and he's like why would i tell you that ever so yeah. i have a, a similar one my cousin nancy who's like pretty significantly older than me you know uh i think in i don't know and she's just like a normal really lovely normal person and married with kids she teaches old people how to use the internet like she's just (laughs) she's just a really lovely woman (laughs) so she then emailed me she's very patient it does doesn't it (laughs) she emailed me and says hi georgia i listened to one of your my favorite murder podcasts today um 
one of the questions was something about someone you knew, knew a murderer, blah, 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 blah. Um, well, back in the late 80s, early 90s, I worked at the Peterson Publishing House in West Hollywood. One of the guys in the photo lab killed one of the models on a shoot. I knew him when I worked there, but the murder was years after I left the company, but I was an editorial assistant of one of the car magazines, and he'd come by and hand me the photos. He never smiled, but looked me directly in the eye. It was creepy. And then I, I knew, anyway, and add another relative who knows a murderer, love Nancy. And then I, I was like, I, I think this is the one I know, which is such an interesting story. It's Charles Rathbun. Yes. Who killed Linda Sobeck in the fucking desert, right? And yep. he said, oh, I hit her with my car on accident when I was showing her some cool moves and I buried her body because I got scared. And it's like, no, you fucking didn't. Dude. No. And then like, they found another one of his bodies close by that as well. Yeah. Was it in the desert? Was it in um, Angeles National Forest? Yeah. But I think it was like a, a open thing. I don't know. Open oh. plane type of thing. Right, right, right. It was just far away. Like he would basically get them to come and go on quote unquote right. shoots. And maybe that was just in my imagination. I like pictured it as a desert. So yeah, that, that, just that open. looks, that's what it looks like. <laughs> it doesn't. It was what we know is it was far away. Yeah. Cause I don't know my, I'm pretty sure though that that was a city confidential for mm-hmm. Los Angeles mm-hmm. about the death of Linda Sobeck. Yes. And I told her, I, oops, I messaged her back and was like, I've fucking gone into a rural, rural area with a guy who wanted to take photos of me when I was younger and didn't get murdered. Yeah. And so that murder is just, I know what it's like to suddenly be like, oh, fuck. Yeah. This was a mistake and nobody knows I'm here. Yes. Yeah. So scary. And I don't know this. I thought I kind of knew this person. I don't know him at all. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when you're young, you think you're friends with everybody. Yeah. It's just like, oh, yeah, my buddy, that's a photographer or whatever, where it's like, where's he from? What's, does he have any siblings? How much do you know this person? And you're easily charmed. You don't bring anyone with you. Right. You, you, you do it by their dictate of like, this is how we're going to do it. This is where we're going to go. Because you don't know to say, fuck no. Well, also, you're so complimented by the fact that someone's like, I think that you are a model. Right. Which I totally I I admit to that completely. Of course. I was Why so wouldn't flattered. you? Yeah. That's a big that's a big part of all of that and then the shame of like, oh how dare you think that. I mean, it's the perfect play. Yeah. They have you coming and going. Listen, don't do it, you guys. Let's start right. a well-populated place and you meet them there, don't get in the car with them. Right. Right? Yes. And also, There's also, there was a guy that was doing this and he was actually going up to women at the Century City Mall. Yes. Remember that one? And he was saying he was a casting director yes. for the new James Bond movie. Yes. And they had it on, on surveillance, right? Yes. They have him on surveillance. They showed and you. he would go to houses that were being, he would get <gasps> shown the house by a real estate agent. So no. he knew it was an empty house. Then he would have the women meet them at that house oh and kill God. them there. And that's how he got caught. It's Fuck. so crazy. Yeah. Uh, that's amazing. Can I quickly do a, uh, podcast recommendation? Of course. And I've said, I've talked about this podcast in its first season cause it was excellent. And then they, I just like listened to the second season in a fucking minute cause it was so good. Yeah. Uh, it's someone knows something, which I think they're calling SKS now because 
no one knew anything last season is that the canadian one yeah with, with the, the guy with the canadian lovely man yes, love him yeah so he the second season is fucking great it's really great storytelling he has so much empathy which is you know hard to find sometimes in these stories um his name's um his name is david riggin riggin mm-hmm. riggin and he's like helped solve murders in the past he's a documentary from like it's it's fucking heartbreaking it's really well done I highly recommend it. He has the most charming Canadian accent. He's so charming. And that first season, even though there were no, no. hard answers, it still is such a great oh series. Oh my God. It's so good. It's heart. It's also heartbreaking. Yeah. It is, but it's also, it never really was solved. So it's still so interesting because you don't know if someone knows something or not. Right. And it also shows what these detectives are up against when these homicides come in it's like because you know i do have a lot of guilt about how much shit we talk about detective work or police work where it's such armchair quarterbacking and we talk about that a lot but it going through it that way especially that was that one was from the 70s that first season murder of that little boy and it's just like it's you're they're going on nothing they have strands they have basic bits of information and we don't think about the fact that they don't have time it's not like they have the next three months to look into this case they have you know a bunch of other cases going as well and more adding up and they don't have the time to unfortunately give to it by no fault of their own right you know the fact that they haven't hired enough detectives they don't have the money to at the um department yeah so it turns into all that red tape stuff yeah that's such a it's such an interesting like the fact that politics affect so many of these murder cases and how much time and attention they get which then folds in the whole thing of when sex workers are involved and they get dismissed or when it's or did she disappear and did she just run away maybe she just ran away yeah that that old kind of 70s yeah. like i don't want to do the paperwork she's a runaway the 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 uh sex working and then also just the like when it's a white blonde teenage cheerleader that's in high school all of the political yeah. power goes behind it as opposed to anybody of color a person that's a sex worker person that was a drug addict well what i love about this this episode or this season of someone or something is it's not a fucking perfect blonde cheerleader she had been into drugs she was an exotic dancer you know she was had a temper she wasn't she, but she, she still deserves being? to she still <laughs> deserves to you know her mother is like the most heartbreaking character you've ever heard odette which i love that name um but i gotta listen to that yeah but that yeah it's good it's not until and then there's the thing too of like at the time of the murder friends and family might not want to talk you know they know things they're scared but he's he's looking into it like 20 years later and he's such a empathetic guy and he's just trying to to solve it he's not trying to you know fuck with anyone right and so they talk to him and right it's, i mean he's fucking great yeah he's so good so watch someone know something second season and first Anyways, it's podcast, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, Hi, hi. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm really good. Is there anything else we wanted to? I guess my only uh, the one, and I can't remember if I've said this already, but I've gotten on your recommendation so into um, the now I can't remember the name of it. Which one? What's it about? The the guy, the Australian guy. Oh, crime. Uh, mysterious wonders what's it called <laughs> oh honey yes mysteries abound mysteries abound oh, it is the, just the most beautiful 
It is so beautifully presented. He, at the top of every story, he cites his sources. <laughs> that's the, the, the first thing I notice where I'm like, ah, yes, that's what we're, that's what we're doing. Um, but for someone who's just reading articles about mysteries throughout the internet, it's so good. It's so good. It's not his stories. He's doing no research. He's, well, he's reading articles, but he's, it's performative. And it's also, he gets why certain things are interesting I don't know. It's just I've listened to now probably 20 of them because we've been doing so much traveling. And yeah. It's just the perfect podcast. And it goes all over the place, like seven interesting facts about urine <laughs> <laughs> or like, you know, why the like mysteries about the moon, which is my favorite fucking one. It's like these things I never knew about. But then also is the most droning, like a most comforting voice. So I fall yeah. asleep to it every fucking night. I thought, yeah, I was falling asleep on the plane. But then there's this one thing he does where like the, he'll tell the story and then have music in between the next ones and for some reason that music is super loud yeah so i keep waking up when the story's done <laughs> it's scary Brings uh, you back. Yeah, but i love it mysteries abound okay mysteries abound so good okay so do we now go, we do ours do we go first based on our tour or do we go first we did <laughs> sorry i was q a last time but then we did the live show after no wait we did the live show before q a steven yeah is this like a reset or do we go from the Tour. Should we flip a coin? Yeah, flip the flip the coin, the FBI coin. Yeah, yes. the FBI. They gave us. So wait, what side do you want? The the FBI guys gave us these commemorative coins that are so cool looking. Yeah, I, I mean, they even brought us presents. Hot FBI agents brought us Pens, presents. Sounds lovely. like the best time. It was. Oh my god. I f I rarely get like um dumbstruck yeah. where I'm like can't figure out one good thing to say, and I just kept laughing and going, really, <laughs> really. <laughs> And like, and yeah, I almost started crying, which I don't usually do. And then every, like the next 10 people who we met, I was like, those guys were FBI agents. Yeah, we just they were like, saying it. so what? <laughs> um, all right. So are you, pick, pick gold or blue. That's blue. That's gold. This okay. says Department of Justice, Federal Bureau of Investigation, counter, counter terror, terrorism division and gang. It says, no, mm -hmm. it doesn't. <laughs> The counterterrorism gang. You, yeah, you so do it. The one in the middle is blue. You know what I'm saying? And that one's gold. Yeah. So Karen, you call it. I'll be blue. Can we flip a coin to see who calls it? <laughs> I'll be blue. You be gold. Okay. Gold. Wait. You blue. I'm. Oh gold. wait, but we didn't say what we're flipping to go first or last. Oh, you get. Oh it. yeah, yeah. Do you, oh, so you get. Do to you pick. like going first or do you like going last? Uh, I. I, don't I guess know. it depends on the story. Yeah, it does. Do we Mine's flip to, to whoever gets it gets to choose what who goes Elvis first? Elvis is suddenly really interested in what's happening. <laughs> Georgia won that. So do you want to just pick what you want to do? I like going first. Do it. Is yours a real big bummer? I mean, yes. So is mine. Well, fuck it. I mean, yeah. it's a murder. It's like, no, mine's super lighthearted. Yeah, fun. there's nothing. It's it's not like an old one or whatever, yeah. but but it's a good one. Okay. Do you, you So you just do what you want. Okay. Mine's pretty short. Okay. Um, and <laughs> what? This is, I just love that. Like, we can't even do a coin nope. flip correctly. No, it's we're talking amazing. We like recommend these investigative journalism, like <laughs> fucking like next level pieces of journalism podcasts. And then we're like, flip a coin to flip a coin. <laughs> Steven, did we, who went first? It's just slop. It's so, oh, it's so just, enjoyable. It's slop in a charming rapper yes for sure you know what i mean i mean let's hope 
Like, what kind of candy is really gross? And then you're like, oh, it looks so good. Remember Rocky Road, which was dark <gasps> chocolate covered yes, marshmallows, marshmallows and like some weird nut, maybe a walnut. Chocolate and ch- oh, fuck, those were good. Do they not have them anymore? Oh, I was I was naming it as a bad one. Oh, I guess there's no candy. That's bad, really. Yeah, I guess you're right. Let's talk about candy for a half an hour. I actually, when we were leaving the airport, I fucking will talk about candy skippers. Uh, when I was leaving the airport, it was in that place where we had traveled so much. I was so tired. I was so tired when we got back on Monday. And I was supposed to do a show that night. Right. I fucking bailed on it because I was like, by the time the show was going to start, it would have been 2 a.m. my time. And I had been traveling all week. I was like, what and was And you were I going thinking? to do another podcast on the way home, weren't you? I did. With we Chris did Fairbanks? my other podcast, Do You Need a Ride? I recorded one on the way home. Honey. Then I got home when I laid down. All of my limbs turned to cement. <laughs> but when I was leaving the airport, I walked by a C's candy <gasps> cart. What you had? <coughs> and I was like, I can have C's candy. Yeah, I got can. this voice in my head that was like, it was my birthday. I don't even know what I was thinking. But I walked up. And as I walked around the cart, I was just like, so you what? You're going to take a pound of candy home and eat it? <laughs> don't they have the singles? They they have like smaller boxes, oh. but I got around, I walked around the whole thing and then I met a lady on the other side and I said, there were little tiny boxes of things. And I go, do you have tiny boxes of nuts and chews? And she was like, oh no, only one pound. And I was like, okay, bye. And I uh, walked away before anything else happened. Don't they, why don't they give samples in there like they do at regular C's candies? Because it's like a weird kiosk and they don't, you know. Next time their lollipops are super satisfying. Yeah, those are good. Except for there's too many flavors I don't like of the lollipops. Uh, is there a butterscotch? I think I like that one. Yep. Or coffee. They have there's coffee. coffee. There's butterscotch. I mean. Listen, when you guys come to California, that's our fucking C's candy. You just bring it to. Seize Whenever candy. I see one, I'm like, am I going anywhere soon that I need to bring a box of C's candy? I know. Too? You know, that's our Christmas thing. We're like. That's at, our Hanukkah thing. At, really? Yeah. At, that's all we do is like, if you're going to go somewhere. You grab one of those two yes. pound boxes of nuts and chews. And that's like the gift I like the soft centers, though. Do you? Yeah. Um, this is perfect with our, like, di- dark meat, white meat um, turkey thing. We could share a chicken and a box of chocolates. And everybody's going to be satisfied. And uh, what was I going to say? Yeah, we do that, too. It's just, like, a table, and there's Jewish cookies, and see boxes of sweet candy, and everyone just sits around, talks, and eats too much, and it's the best. Yes. So good. Uh, shout out to Rugula. Man, which is the best. <laughs> <laughs> is it weird that I just shouted out a cookie? I love it. Fuck. <laughs> Shout out to arugula. Shout arugula. out. Just plain arugula? Arugula cookies. Oh, arugula is the lettuce. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not randomly shouting out a lettuce. It wasn't that random. It was Jewish cookies, arugula. And that's the one that you got at Michael's, the 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 diner we went to after the show, right? No, was that, was, um, that was baklava. Uh, baklava. Sorry. Get it straight. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> where are we shout out i'm not sure do you want to start sure all right Here shout out mary c you really made some good candy mary oh i love her yeah i meant the little old lady and with the glasses yeah. and the shawl is that made up i just recently found out that um what's the cookie woman no wait that's not right lorna dune no <laughs> one of those people are made up oh probably betty crocker that's it yeah my friend's reading a um a documentary on her is that a thing you can read uh, <laughs> she told me that yeah me ways just created by a company yeah which i think is not fair it is pretty fucked up okay 
There's something about the sound of an old-timey cash register that really takes me back. I know. It sounds like someone is about to hand me an ice cream cone, but it also sounds like we just sold some merch. That's right. And if you're a Shopify user like us, you know that this sound means you just made a sale. Shopify has helped millions of businesses sell their products online, but did you know they also offer the same support for brick and mortar stores? From accepting payments to managing inventory, they have everything you need to sell in person. So give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify POS tracks sales across all your locations. That way you'll always know what you have in stock and where. They also provide reliable tech that fits your unique retail needs, like turning a tablet into a credit card reader. And if you're looking to reach new customers, check out Shopify's marketing tools. They're easy to use and they integrate with all social media platforms. With Shopify, we have a powerful partner for managing our sales. And if you're a business owner, you can too. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period today at shopify.com slash murder. And here's the important note, that promo code is all lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash murder and take your retail business to the next level. That's shopify.com slash murder. Again, don't forget the code is all lowercase. Goodbye. If you're like me, you're always looking for a story to dive into. Whether it's a family drama or a mystery to solve, the key to getting hooked is the details. I need rich visuals and intricate storylines, and June's Journey has that and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young woman, on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murder. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. Explore beautifully designed scenes from the 1920s, like lavish estates and gardens, and don't forget to keep an eye out for hidden clues. There are twists, turns, and catchy tunes, all leading you deeper into the thrilling storyline. And if you play well enough, you could make it to the detective club. There, you'll chat with other players and compete with or against them. June needs your help, but watch out, you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed, but will you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Goodbye. Hey, speaking of fucked up. Yeah. This one's a bummer. Okay. So on July 30th, 1986... We're in 1986. I can see the outfit I'm wearing. (laughs) We're in an affluent community of Silver Spring, which is located in Maryland. And 19-year-old Keith Waddell Warren was found hanging from a tree two days after he was reported missing by his mother. Keith, who's an African-American, had been accepted into North Carolina Central University and was set to go in the fall, but he was currently home for the summer making money um, and saving it up to go away. Handsome, bright. Everyone said he was a good kid, uh, you know, good good in school. Um, he did have some depression issues, but in his recent in his recent past, his parents had divorced, but he uh, had a bright future. So on so July 30th, 1986, a woman walking her dog, dog found Keith in a wooded area near his family's home. His body was hanging from a small tree by his neck and the tree was bent double with his weight. The cord was elaborately hung and anchored around the base of the tree. And uh, it was 25 feet then to a small sapling. So it was like this elaborate kind of hanging mechanism. And then I encircled the sapling's trunk. 
arched through a fork. The first paramedic who arrived on the scene said that he immediately knew it was a staged hanging. Ooh. And so he didn't touch the body at all. He was waiting for the police to arrive. Nice. But the officer and detective who arrived at the scene released that paramedic. Um, the officer stated that the uh, this, this was interfering with his lunch break. Um. And they didn't cordon off the area and the scene was trampled. And I, of course, looked up his name and warning immediately crime scene photos come up. Oh, but you can see in the background of one of them, just some fucking shirtless dude hanging out, staring at the body. So they hadn't even taken it down yet. And there was a guy, you know, maybe not even 10 feet just hanging out whoa yeah okay it's like some hippie dude so this was before they understood how but was didn't it? i don't think so it's just it was just yeah i think it, ha- it when we read about a lot of these fucked up crimes that happens but i don't think that that was a normal procedure i can't imagine yeah let us know cops from the 86 yeah when did they when did they really know that you had to lock down a crime scene and no one got to come look be near it like a whole, like, a, what do they call that? Establish a perimeter, like... I want to know as well, when did they start wearing gloves and stop smoking at the crime scene? Yeah. Cops, you know right. what I mean? Like, yes. it had to be in somewhere in the 90s because even O.J. Simpson's crime scene was handled without gloves, which they definitely should have known by then. Yes. Right. Anyways. Wow. I know. Okay. It gets worse. Okay. Uh, despite the obvious discrepancies, authorities didn't see anything wrong with the scene. And after a brief visual inspection, the county's the county department medical examiner determined that Keith Warren had committed suicide. Mm. Uh, no autopsy was ordered. The body was sent directly to a funeral home. The detective chose it. And this was all that happened. Oh, and his body uh, was embalmed all before his mother was even aware of his death. What? Yeah. So well, the, that's simply not procedure. No, nope. right? it can't be. Well, back then, you didn't need to perform an autopsy on a suicide, but it was definitely suspicious. The embalming, that kind of thing is the parent's decision. Yes. And also, he wasn't taken to a morgue. He was taken to a funeral home. I think the funeral director didn't really get any information about what was going on. So he was just thought he was supposed to embalm the body. Um, but is Silver Spring, do you know a smaller place? Like, could they use that excuse that this was like small town? They're not used to. I, from what I can tell, I don't know if it was a, if it was just the um, community or what, but it was like seventy thousand people okay. there. Not huge. No. Okay. But it was like a ha- it was like forty minutes from. Um, Philly, it was like not far from DC. So it's not rural. It's rural. How do you say that? I can never. <laughs> You're saying it right. It's just a weird word. It's just stupid. Um, yeah. Okay. So, so by the six hours after he had been found, his mother was finally told about it. And by then he had been embalmed. It, th- I mean, that's unacceptable. I know. Okay. When the family asked for his clothing that he'd been wearing at the time, uh, the funeral informed the funeral home informed them that most of it had been destroyed because of the decay of the body had ruined them so they just got rid of the decayed body clothes okay um they were only given his jacket and a pair of brown boots um and from i can say from those um from those crime scene photos that i of course looked at all of them and almost started crying because i have to look at them because i'm a fucking weirdo he wasn't decayed at all. He wasn't decaying. Yeah. He was found two days after he went missing. Don't know how long he was up there, but he looks 
like he had gotten there recently. Like yeah. there is nothing about him that looks like what you would expect from a hanging, which is a lot of really grotesque things happen to you, right? Mm-hmm. N- there was no indication that he was decayed. Anyways, later when his mom attempted to visit the tree to pray there because she was so fucking heartbroken, she got there and realized the tree had been cut down. What? Yeah. Okay. Taken into evidence by the police, which his mother was like, if this is a suicide and the case was closed, which it was, why are you taking evidence? That's exactly right. Yeah. You're uh, taking in evidence for a suicide and a closed that you case. don't do. You're not taking evidence from the body, but you are taking the tree. Definitely. Um, and the tree couldn't be found or maybe it was destroyed in a fire. I couldn't really, there's not, there's no Wikipedia about this. Mm -hmm. There's like not a lot of shit. A lot of the articles are just, you know, the same stuff regurgitated because there's just not a ton of information out there. I couldn't believe there wasn't a Wikipedia about this. Yeah. Uh, so I had to do a lot of work. (laughs) So Mary had doubts, but it really wasn't until she heard from a friend of Keith's that she really got, uh, Suspicious. Thank you. So Rodney Kendall uh, was a friend of hers and said that he had seen a car full of black males looking for Keith shortly before his death. Rodney told them they hadn't seen Keith and they immediately left. Then several days later, Rodney um, had another odd encounter with a high school acquaintance of both of theirs named Mark Finley. And he said he seemed pretty urgent. I thought it was strange because he acted like he needed to find Keith very quickly. And I told him I didn't know where he was. And he left. So all these people searching for him. Weird. The Maryland County PD refused to hand over the photos taken at the crime scene to his mother because he said they would be too difficult for her to see. Um, so she's asking to see him, and uh-huh. they say no. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And they said that she should have a closed casket, too. So April in 1992, so this happened in 86. It wasn't until 92, um, which would have been her son's 25th birthday, exactly. Mary found a, a plain manila envelope on her doorstep, uh, anonymous. And inside, there were five pictures, each showing, showing a different view of Keith's hanging by his neck. So those are the photos that I saw. Whoa. Yeah. And so it's from the back. It's, I mean, a close up of his face. It's just, it's so heartbreaking. His face is so sweet and like young. Um, So she saw the photos and she found glaring discrepancies, including his clothes didn't fit him that he was wearing. Um, which made her think she was, he was wearing someone else's clothes. Mm -hmm. There was no decomposition. Um, which the funeral told her, you know, her home told her there was. And um, also he was wearing in the photographs. Remember he had, they had given him brown boots at the funeral home. He mm. was wearing white sneakers oh, in the photographs. No. Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah. Um, there was a note attached to all these photos that said, don't worry, Mark Finley will be next. And Mark Finley was the kid who said that he had seen people asking for uh, Keith. So the family hired private detective Joe Alarcia, I think, who, in addition to these discrepancies, also saw that, and this is the fucking point of it that always gives me chills. So Keith had, on the back of his jacket, leaves and debris. (gasps) Meaning he, and he didn't land on his back, meaning they started to think that he had been brought there and hoisted up. Mm -hmm. So, um... 
Da, 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 da. So the family also then hired a renowned forensic pathologist, uh, Isidore uh, Milakis, who exhumed Keith's body and did a toxicology report, which they never fucking did originally, which is insane. Right. Like even not an autopsy, a toxicology report is just seems like a basic, you know. Yeah, if you're just looking for information of what happened. How did he kill himself? What state of mind was he in at the time? And also just that the family would want... The difference between somebody who has hung themselves and somebody who has died under suspicious circumstances, You to give a family a story of your son killed himself is a totally different narrative and says something about your son that then you have to live with. Whereas your son being a victim of a murder is a completely yeah. different story. It's just like... No it's, answers. You get no answers. Yeah. Well, and someone, you know, there is something too about the fact that they saw a young black man hanging from a tree yes. and immediately like with suicide where it's like someone said it reminded me of the old South yes. and hangings and not that old. I mean, it still happened by fucking racist motherfuckers at the time. Right. So to see him hanging suspiciously and I saw it, his legs, his feet are on the ground and his legs are kind of bent forward. So he's almost in like, if he were in a sitting position with his legs forward, then it got hoisted up a little. So he wasn't hanging. Right. And it was definitely like, you know, indicative of lynching. Yes. Is indicative the right word? Uh, yes. Okay, I great. mean, yeah. Great. But, but also it's that thing of, yeah, that's to rush all of that away. Not to immediately at the scene say suicide. No. Nope. No. No. Um, yeah. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no, no. And that's, I'm, I'm agreeing with you and going with what you're telling me, and it's very upsetting. Okay. Your gall. Yeah. I will listen to it. Yeah. <laughs> gall? No. Yeah, it is. Okay. Yeah. Shit, man. <laughs> uh, just, this is called que uh, Question Yourself Corner. Uh, right. By Georgia. So, okay, toxicology report uh, analysis reveals abnormally elevated amounts of, here we go, trichloromethane, methane, trichloromethane. Okay. A solvent found in paints and lacquers and powerful chemicals that are usually found in glue and solvents. So according to Dr. Isidore uh, Mahalakis, the levels found in Keith's body were more than enough to kill him. And this is a body that has already been, um, what do you call it? Um, <laughs> embalmed. Embalmed. And buried. So that was the argument that maybe they came from the embalming. Maybe they came from the soil where he's buried. Yeah. But it was pretty, it was pretty. The doctor felt sure that it was not that. Because they weren't chemicals used in that. Okay. And they weren't, you know, they were at high enough levels that it wouldn't have been absorbed if it was in the soil. Okay. So, you know, it's the, it's the argument. Is it or isn't it, you know? And but the doctor saying, I'm I know what I'm looking at and I know what the situation was and I'm finding these chemicals there anyway. And that's highly suspicious. Yeah. But the, the other side probably were just as sure that it wasn't true. Well, the thing is once you embalm a body, yeah. you can't fucking say anything for sure, which is why you don't rush to embalm a body. I mean, that one is the biggest glaring thing of, that's the biggest fuck up. Yeah. What do you or cover up? Yeah. Okay. For sure. Okay. Um, mm -hmm, okay. Based on the high levels of this chemical in the victim's body, the doctor concluded that several met that severe mental confusion would have resulted in impaired decision making 
of routine actions. So he couldn't even decide to kill himself if he wanted to. Okay. Um, Outside investigators claim that the way he had apparently hung himself was practically impossible due to the small tree and the fact that two ropes were used in the suicide. Which I don't totally understand because you can still, if you want to kill yourself and you need two ropes, you can still do. I guess they were what they were saying is the way that set up and what it sounded like is they were using one oh, tree against the other, to like hoist. that it was a, yeah, that basically you can't do that by yourself. So all he would have needed to hang himself was one rope and one tree, not, and there was nowhere for him to jump off of either. Yeah. So I don't, I think it's probably, you know, they were like, well, you can, you can hang yourself any way you want, but I feel like in the same way that you, when people try to drown themselves, you, you just can't allow yourself to do that. There's some, something deep in you that stands up or gets out of. Yeah, there's the the fight instinct inside of you. Right. So there's that. Um, And then he said, I do not believe that he would have the ability to hang himself. And for that matter, he would not have the ability to make the decision about hanging himself. Um, And so he ruled the death that the death must be investigated as a homicide. Mm. The family appealed to the Maryland County PD and eventually the United States Attorney General Janet Reno for a criminal investigation into the death as well as the subsequent actions of the police department. All requests have been denied. Oh. Yeah. So here's what I wrote. So how did Keith die? And these are kind of taken all over the internet of ideas. Um, did he overdose on solvents found in uh, that were found in his body? He was at a party with friends. Maybe they were huffing maybe they were doing drugs and he overdosed and his friends panicked and staged his death to look like a suicide to avoid police right which would make sense of his clothes being changed because maybe he vomited all over his clothing Uh, maybe there was blood on that and so that's why they changed his clothes including his shoes um and they just wanted to make it look like a suicide or did someone you know come from behind with a rag and and that's why he had the solvents inside of him. So it wasn't his choice. Yeah. Um, his backpack had some of his favorite tapes in it, which points to him maybe going to a party. That's just in my opinion. Like, you know, when you're going out with friends, you're like, I'll bring some music. We're going to hang out. Right. Because back in the, I will say this, in the 80s, you didn't, you didn't travel with tapes. Like, you would make one mixtape maybe and bring it somewhere, but mm-hmm. like you usually left that either at home or in your car because they were just such a pain. Yeah. So he had his backpack, his favorite tapes in it, which makes me think it's someone he was going to visit someone he knew in that what just that I was thinking about. It's like party plan. If it was a party, he would have bought a mixtape. Yeah. One or two tapes. If it was his friends, he'd be like, I want you to hear this tape. This new one. This one's great. Right. Does that make any sense? I think so. That's off the top of my head and clearly just speculation. We're just speculating. Yeah. Um, So, okay. Some people thought that he may have been, uh, and this is on like, you know, wiki. uh, What's it called? Reddit. Reddit and shit. That he may have been an informant to the police and he was found out by the local drug dealers, which might have been the guys in the car. um, And they were looking for him and killed him which makes sense that the cops would cover it up because they don't want everyone to know that they caused a murder yes which there's actually i keep trying to find this murder that i found out about a long time ago there was this girl it's kind of small town the cops found all this lsd on her and said you're going to jail forever or you need to be our informant and the guys the drug dealers she went over there wired they found out shot her in the fucking head yeah but it took them a long time to find out about i can't find that one I think I remember you telling me about that one. 
It sounds familiar. It's always stuck with me. It's like the sweet hippie, you know, in the 90s hippie girl. Yeah. Okay. So was it a hate crime? Very well could have been. Mm -hmm. Did he actually somehow commit suicide? I mean, that's always an option, too. It's not it's not gone. Yeah. So in a final disturbing twist, the one person who may have been able to answer those questions turned up dead under suspicious circumstances. Mark Finley? Mark Finley. Oh, shit. Uh, when um, he was one of the guys who came looking for Keith a few days before he died and his mother had received the package that said Mark Finley's next, she told him and he said to her um, that he would be by to see her soon and she said he said i need to unload (gasps) so maybe he was one of the friends at the party maybe he knew something um so one month after she received those photos and talked to him he was dead according to police he died accidentally when he was struck when he struck a curb on his bike and was thrown off in what was described as a freak accident However, according to paramedics who were on the scene, his wounds were not consistent with a bicycle accident. His wounds were more consistent with being hit by a car or being hit with a baseball bat. Oh, man. His wounds were greater than, than that could have been, than that falling would have caused. Right. Um, especially in the location where it allegedly took place. Yeah. So his mother, Mary, uh, Mary Cooey, died suddenly in May. May 25th in 2009. And she dedicated... Keith's mother? Yeah. She dedicated, you know, her life after that finding justice. They spent a lot of money. They had, uh, um, what's it called? Awards for finding... For information. Reward? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Not awards. (laughs) Well, monetary awards, or as we know them, rewards. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Awards too positive for this. I mean... Listen... Um, so she died, never found any justice, but her, but Keith's sister, her little sister, Sherry Warren has taken up her mom's fight. She says that even if he died of an accidental overdose, she still wants the Maryland County PD to be held accountable for yes. their actions. Yes. So she organizes marches. She is still looking for answers. There's still rewards out there. And, uh, she just wants answers. Yeah. Also, just that idea, it's just that thing of like, what, if they if something procedurally is so screwed up that they, they're taking pictures of a dead body and there's just kind of a dude loitering in the background or there's no perimeter on the crime scene or there's no, or they're rushing a body to be uh, taken to the funeral home, like all of those things, they, it, Aside from the injustice to this family and to this victim, they can't do it that way ever again. So it's that idea, too, that like this, it's just that thing of the crime procedure cannot be that screwed up. Like you just have to learn from those mistakes. Say say it's all a mistake. Yeah. Best case scenario. It's just a series of terrible mistakes. Especially because those those people who were who were there at the time are probably not on the force anymore they probably retired yeah so it's kind of admitting it's a thing of like when you hear on these on like you know 48 hours and all these things of like cops saying or detectives saying yeah we did that wrong and we learned from it it's so refreshing to hear because everyone makes mistakes you know and we're fucking big on the 80s and 90s and before that being fucked up in terms of you know procedures yeah 
So it is, and it is tough because, you know, to be involved in, uh, in crime, in stopping crime, you have to be a big, tough man who is brave and faces the worst of all society all day, every day. And so admitting, get being, um, flexible and being able to admit, mistakes and all those kinds of things don't go along with that persona. And I mm-hmm. think that's changing too. It's that thing of like, it's the, no one's looking for you to be the like Texas Ranger. Yeah. Or do you, every single thing correctly. Yeah. People make mistakes. And it's like, you know, one guy in the, on the force believes it's not what it is. He's not going to fight with every other guy on there. He's yeah. a woman. It, he's not going to fight with his fucking boss. You know, you get labeled snitch and you know right or or troublemaker or whatever it is from what we know on law and order and all this shit you get put on (laughs) you get desk job desk duty after that that's exactly right it's all political i mean it's it's political where it shouldn't be but wow that's amazing i just can't believe there's not more on that yeah more on that um especially because well it also kind of goes to show that the the i feel like in this day and age because that is such a um, a black man being hung, hung and having that not fully and thoroughly looked into is mm-hmm. such a, um, it, it's so problematic mm-hmm. and such a, like, the kind of thing that, that I think people are working very hard to make sure doesn't get swept under the rug anymore. Yeah. Hopefully. And to be fair, uh, Case File did an episode on this, like in January. So it's oh, not cool. nobody's, you know, episode 43, he does, you know, his story as well so i don't want to not give them a shout out him a shout out yeah but uh, cool. yeah, it's fucked up man let's yeah. uh let's open that back up um yeah i'd love to know the answer to that that's crazy mine's fucked up too congratulations <laughs> we, we matched did it, we- <laughs> so rare that you find a murder story that's awful um <laughs> I got actually the first uh, whiff of this that I ever heard uh, is from the show Real Detective that we've talked about mm, many times. So good. Um, on Netflix? It is. Uh, yeah. It's, it, is it on Netflix? I'm not sure. It's so. on regular TV now. Like I have oh. it just TiVo'd. And so I have like 10 episodes from regular TV. Okay. Then I what think I like only call, season one is on. Sorry. What you like to call? Regular TV. <laughs> <laughs> I um, mean, at this this day and age, it's just regular TV. But you can also it's on on demand on Directv. Oh, that's okay. how I watch the one I watch today. I fucking hate on demand. Why? Because you can't put it in a you can't list it. You have to specifically look for something and then watch it. Yes, you have to know exactly what yeah, you're looking I for. I fucking hate that. I want there's a new show coming up called like new york detect or like the fbi in new york or some shit yeah and i went immediately to record it and you can't it's just i'm gonna forget it immediately oh we'll make steven remind you listen steven can you change direct tv please listen give direct tv a call you need to start writing some letters yeah okay so real detective um try to watch it any way you can find out but um the reason i loved this episode was not only because it was a southern california serial killer that i'd never heard Mm. of which is pretty fascinating but on this episode the real detective if you haven't watched it basically follows the one detective who solves this crime and that detective is there talking about themselves in the 20 years ago or whenever the thing happens it's like doing the storytelling 
So yeah. it's not like a dramatic reenactment. No, there it's firsthand experience of what it was like for this person to to um, get catch this case, mm-hmm. go through, be at all these crime scenes, and eventually, thankfully, solve the crime. And there are reenactments, but they're good. Exactly. Because they actually hire great actors because it's not just, um, they don't just do like reenactments that are silent. There are whole scenes that they do like scenes. Talking and everything. Yeah. Yeah, It's a really great show. Um, Okay. So this one is the Riverside County. um, The name of him was the Riverside County prostitute killer Mm -hmm. originally, but uh, I called him the Riverside County serial killer. And um, the detective's named Bob Creed. um, And he he is especially um as a detective he is so empathetic and he is so lovely and kind and the way he talks about all of these victims it's the episode starts with him just kind of listing all the victims names like he knows all of them now um so it's that kind of thing where you're just watching a person who this was his life and this he took all of all of these deaths to heart and and the fact that it was taking place in his hometown Mm -hmm. and his home territory. And it's this incredible story. So that's refreshing because when you said the name of what it was before the prostitute killer, I immediately was like, Oh, well then they're not important. So him naming them immediately makes me think that they're important. It's not only that, but the way they present these murders in on the show, real detectives, they really play down. If not, don't mention the prostitute aspect at all. So they really are just talking about, they found this victim here. They found this victim here. And when, and uh, when Bob Creed talks about them, he talks about, like he starts out by saying these were women with families who loved them. And he talks about the family. They were good families and they loved their daughters. So it's because all of the, in the murderpedia articles that I was reading, it's all just prostitute drug user. um, Because you never know the circumstance of their life. You don't, and the killing fields do that really well when they talk to their families and sisters. But you know, I was, when I go missing, is it going to be ex drug addicts? You know, yeah, yeah. Because I've been drug addict. I was a drug addict at one point. Yeah, but I haven't been in twenty. You know, it's like, like we did. I did a murder when we were doing the live shows, and one of them called her a prostitute. But in other places, I saw it as a masseuse, and it's like, did she cross some lines? at her job and they called her a prostitute it's just there's so many there's so many nuances around it well yeah and when you boil like in journalism and this kind of journalism when you boil people's lives down to the to their criminal records or the like the basic facts of their lives what are you choosing to leave in and what and what are you choosing to bring out mm-hmm. because there are lots of people who have been addicted to drugs whether mm-hmm. or not they go to jail for it there's lots of people on drugs right now that if you died right now and they took the toxicology report not you but like anybody mm-hmm. in the street any man in the street Stephen um, no, that if they died and they took the toxicology report and they'd be like, well, you're filled with Wellbutrin and Adderall and this and that. And you smoke marijuana. Topamax and pot and you you just had four drinks. So are you a drug user? And so should your murder matter less because of that? And that's kind of like, I was really blown away because... Um, when I was when I was reading these old articles, it was one story, but the way Real Detective presents this is so different and it's so modern. And then this detective on top of it 
you love him and you love the work that he's doing because it. it's just very personal. So, all right. Okay, so I'll stop this is like, no, that's okay. It's a, the pro, I need you to. Okay. Um, and the presentation or this, like what I've written up is a combination of me writing down things from this episode of real detective, but it's also, there's an article I found in murderpedia that gave me a really good timeline and talked a lot about these victims. And it was written by a guy named David Lore. Um, his article was called the Riverside prostitute killer. Um, I didn't get a year on it, but it does seem old because it's definitely from like the early nineties. So anyway, uh, October 30th, 1986. So there's an area, I don't know how much, you know, Riverside, like the Riverside city or the County vaguely, even though I'm from here. Yeah. It's like, it's weird because it's, it's about an hour and a half directly South of where we are right now. And it's, it's halfway. We never go there. It's halfway between here and San Diego. It's inland. Um, Lake Elsinore is the big, like um, this guy. Yeah. That lake that's Mm -hmm. nearby it is like kind of the, the tourist nice area. Mm -hmm. And that's where this guy lived. Okay. Um, But, but, Uh, most of the murder the crime scenes are in and around riverside the city itself okay so there's apparently an industrial area outside of riverside called rubido and it's like apparently smoggy and gross and it's all factories Mm -hmm. so um on october 30th 1986 there's a a man who's collecting cans that around that area. And he comes upon the body of a woman who's stuffed into a drainage ditch. Oof. She's covered in blood. Her clothes are ripped to shreds and her genitals have been mutilated. Oy. So he runs this man who discovers this horrible, um, uh, crime scene runs to the closest factory to get help. And the police identify her as 23 year old Michelle Yvette Gutierrez. And she's from Corpus Christi, Texas. Um, and her autopsy reveals that she suffered severe trauma to anal and vaginal areas. Mm. Multiple stab wounds were discovered on her face, chest, and buttocks. And she has lig- ligature marks on her neck, um, suggesting that she'd been strangled um, while she was being mutilated. Oh, so God. bad news uh, right away. So two weeks later, on December 11th, um, the body of 24-year-old Charlotte Jean Palmer is discovered near Highway 74 in Romoland, which is 25 miles away from the Gutierrez murder mm-hmm. scene. Um, and her body was so badly decomposed that they couldn't figure out the um, cause of death, so they weren't even necessarily related. Right. Um, in January... Uh, of 1987, so about a month later, the naked and mutilated body of 37-year-old Linda Ann Ortega is found along a dirt road in Lake Elsinore. Um, She had been dead for at least three days. Uh, They found alcohol and cocaine in her bloodstream. Um, Investigators later discover um, that she worked part-time in a fast food restaurant, but she also had a rap sheet for drugs and sex working. now the investigators are starting to see that they have three similar homicides where the young women are being brutally stabbed to death and strangled to death. Um, so then uh, four months later on May 2nd, 1987, um, Martha Bess Young, 27-year-old Martha Bess Young, is discovered in a ravine not far from the Ortega murder site. Um she is fully naked in a spread eagle position. Mm. She also had a rap sheet for sex work and high levels of drugs were found in her body. Um, 
and she the coroner um, determines that she's been dead for about three weeks, mm. and she had died from a lethal dose of amphetamines while she was being strangled. So, um, like, he injected her with amphetamines while he was strangled or like at some point i don't know just that they're both exist like she has a lethal dose in her system but she the asphyxiation is what she actually died from but but she also those things were happening like at the same time got it uh i was picturing it like (laughs) like at the exact same time yes like he shot her up while he's with one hand on her neck and yeah which probably didn't happen um no but the 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 first woman um who was found um michelle gutierrez also had stab wounds but she lethal stab wounds but she died from being strangled so they do think that he kills them and attacks them at the same time right i mean it's like all one frenzy it Jesus seems like Christ. okay so um so then uh so then no murders for oh like almost two years and then january t- 27th 1989 the body of 37 year old linda may ruiz um who was a sec known as a sex worker was discovered on the beach of lake elsinore and um her head was buried in the sand mm. and the opt- autopsy reveals she um has a high blood alcohol level and there was sand found in her throat and the cause of death is asphyxiation um then about six months later same year the body of 28 year old kimberly little is discovered in cottonwood canyon um also she is also known as a sex worker and a drug user and um her uh, autopsy reveals the presence of alcohol and drugs. The the official cause of death is listed as asphyxiation. Um, hey, Karen, you know that feeling when you're stressed out and your heart starts to pound and your mind is racing? I do. I know it well. Well, while there's no cure for stress, therapy can help shape your response to it. And since May is Mental Health Awareness Month, there's no better time to try Talkspace. When you sign up for Talkspace, you'll receive a personalized match with a therapist or psychologist, typically within 48 hours. Forbes rates Talkspace as the number one online therapy platform, plus their licensed professionals are in network with almost all major insurance companies. Once you meet your therapy goals, or if you want to cancel for any reason, Talkspace will provide you with a prorated refund for unused time. I feel like these days people understand the importance of therapy, but the difficult part is just taking that first step. It took me months to make my first therapy appointment. I was so scared. I had a lot of ideas in my head about it. And that's why I think Talkspace is such a good idea because making it so approachable will just get you there sooner. Then you can actually get in there, figure out what you need, talk to an actual professional and be on your way to solving some stuff that you might want to solve. To celebrate Mental Health Awareness Month and the power of talking it out in therapy, Talkspace is offering our listeners $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80. Go to Talkspace.com slash MFM and use promo code SPACE80. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash MFM and enter promo code SPACE80 and get $80 off your first month and show your support for our show. That's Talkspace.com slash MFM. Enter promo code SPACE80. Goodbye. Georgia, have you ever been blown away by the most simple dish at a restaurant, like perfectly scrambled eggs? Oh my God, yes, Karen. And then all I want to do is make that dish at home and eat it every day. Well, you probably could, as long as you have the chef's secret ingredient, 
Made In Cookware. Made In was created to bring restaurant quality performance kitchenware to home chefs around the world. For years, they've built their business by supplying restaurants and top chefs with high-end cookware. Some of Tom Colicchio's most treasured dishes at his restaurant craft are made in Made In. Whether you're cooking for professional critics or just the critics you live with, your meals will benefit from the quality of Made In products. Like their carbon steel cookware, it combines the best of both cast iron and stainless steel clad, so it's rugged enough for grills or an open flame. It's the MVP of summer cookouts and cook-ins. What I really love about made-in cookware is that it actually makes something like having a Memorial Day barbecue much more convenient because you can keep everything on the grill if you need to throw, say, a pan of garlic up on the top while you're grilling your steaks on the bottom. It's strong enough, durable enough to do that. If you want to take your cooking to the next level, remember what so many great dishes have in common. They're all made in, made in. Save up to 25% this Memorial Day from May 18th through May 27th when you visit madeincookware.com. That's M-A-D-E-I-N cookware.com. Goodbye. And they find, on her, they finally find um, fibers and pubic hairs that are not hers. So they finally find some um, evidence that they can use, that they they don't know what to compare it against, but they're saving it. It's crazy that with that many victims, they didn't have a touch of that even. Right. Um, not, I mean, not as, not so far that's listed on, right. on or, in the, this article or that they knew how to lift at that time. Yeah, maybe. Cause it was pretty early. What year is it? This is in the late eighties. So oh, yeah, it they started would've. in 1987. So they probably didn't 86. know what could be compared, like what could be used as DNA. So even if there's some kind of saliva or the, right. They wouldn't know. Maybe. Maybe. Um, Yeah. So, uh, but also they're starting to, I think, compare, they're starting to keep mm. track of these. So it's like they know that they're, they can see what's standing out on these victims as they go. And so they're like, oh, okay, we have a pubic hair that's mm-hmm. not hers. And like they're, they're um, learning what to look for mm-hmm. and what to keep mm-hmm. as they go. Okay. So on November 11th, same year, um, a local resident discovers the body bludgeoned and mutilated body of 36 year old judy lynn angel near temescal canyon road and this is just northwest of lake elsinore um and she also uh had a rap sheet for sex working and 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 drugs um uh but she they discovered um defensive wounds in her hands when she's um when her autopsy is being given Mm. um she also had several blows to the face and ultimately she died of having her cranium crushed. Oof. Um, so then the next month they find the body of 23 year old Christina Leal in Quail Valley. Um, now she is fully appears fully clothed and not having suffered any serious abuse Hmm. or mutilation. Um, she was had a record for sex work and drugs. Um, and at that crime scene, investigators found, found tire tracks for the first time. Hmm. So they made impressions of those tire tracks, which I found so fascinating that they think to do that. But to me, that's like one in a million chance of finding that person. But yeah, I guess it can be used once they find someone they think is a suspect. What kind of car did they drive at the time? Exactly. And when it's serial killing, they know it, they start finding 
um, taking imprints of tire tracks to compare to the other places mm-hmm. because they know that eventually there's going to be some that becomes a consistent sure. um, um, impression that they're like, okay, this is the this is the this is the tire. Maybe this is the car. Interesting. So, um, so then when when she gets her autopsy, the coroner finds that she had one stab wound to the heart, and they didn't notice it at the mm. beginning because she the she had been stripped and then redressed by the killer. Oh, so there was no, through the shirt, there wasn't anything. It wasn't a stab through the shirt. It was underneath. It wow. is, so the cops didn't see it what like a weird thing right away. Do. Yeah, super weird. Here's a weirder thing. And maybe the weirdest thing of this, <gasps> uh, of this whole case. Okay. Um, when they inspected the victim's genital area, they found the killer had put a light bulb <gasps> up into the woman's, no, uh, Vag bit and the woman's womb, so he shoved all it the all way- the way up, and it no. was unbroken. Uh, and it was also a very, um, uh, it was a very kind of different, uh, it was a elongated, um, uh, light bulb. Uh-huh. It was a different, like it wasn't just timey. a standard, com- it was kind of old timey looking. It wasn't, it wasn't it was a f- common one for somewhere and something, exactly. Um, so they now know that he's escalating and he's becoming more, um, uh, you know, deviant. He's starting to do weird shit. That seems like such a big clue that they're almost lucky to have. Was she dead or alive when that happened? I feel like she must have been dead. I think she must have been dead because it took, they said it must have taken a really long time for really? him to be able to put it up there unbroken. Yeah, because she would have been fighting. She yes. Have, right. Oh, for fuck's sake. So he is then now, the escalation is part of, um, part of that, them knowing he's escalating is because he's leaving things behind intentionally mm. and he's degrading them more mm. than average because mm-hmm. he, because he was, you know, the, degradation of being left you know often spread eagle mm-hmm. often half naked in ditches mm-hmm. in drain it you know in like on these places where he's just saying these people are garbage yeah. with how he's leaving them yeah but now he's adding to it uh oh, yeah. even more That's in a very awful. upsetting way um okay so then on the morning of january 18th 1990 um, so it's actually only a month later, but it's the next year. Investigators um, get called to a scene east of the I-15 in Lake Elsinore. A jogger had found the half-nude body of a woman who is identified as 24-year-old sex worker Darla Jane Ferguson. Um, she had been strangled so severely that she nearly bit off her own tongue. Oh, uh-huh. fuck. I didn't know that was a thing. I didn't either. Um, investigators find tire tracks at this crime scene, make impressions at this crime scene. Amazing. Um, a month later, February 8th, 1990, farmers working at an orchard in Highgrove find the nude body of 35-year-old Carol Lynn Miller, um, also known as, uh, as a sex worker and drug addict. She had gone missing a month earlier. Um, she had multiple stab wounds to the chest um, and... She also had a wound near her right nipple. Um, Fuck. The, they found pubic hairs on this victim um, that they kept. And uh, the this murder is where that episode of Real Detective starts because they they basically come in and they they talk about how these murders had been going on. Okay. And but um 
they just, it was that kind of thing of like, they would have a murder and it would be a sex worker and they would be like, oh no. And they were like suspecting that they had a serial killer, but it wasn't until um, this, I think this may have been um, Bob Creed's, like one of his early. Like uh, when he got put on the case, was I that mean, point? Uh no, because I think he was on this task force early, but mm-hmm. I guess that the, the point of interest was when he got there, um, and he was looking at the crime scene, he realized that his grandfather used to own that orchard. Whoa. And so he's starting to go, is this guy fucking with us? Yeah. Like, is this guy doing this on purpose? Cause they also, there was a half eaten grapefruit that had been peeled, half eaten and thrown on the victim. What the fuck? So there was like a lot of kind of, uh, messaging in that, yeah. um, or that just kind he, of like he was really freaked out about. It. So obviously the yeah. guy was taking his time. He was purposely, yeah. Uh, what's the word? Um, antagonizing the police. Yeah, that's what that's that's where he started to go. Like, could this guy know? Could this guy have known that this was my grandfather's? Like, he's like we used to play here when I was a little kid. Yeah, coincidental. Um, so. Uh, I I wish I knew exactly when they put this task force together. I I don't um, have it, but basically it was like, I would say probably after the fifth or sixth body, they actually put a dedicated task force together Mm -hmm. to be like, what is going on? But the, but they never find fingerprints at any scene. Um, They know that the bodies have been taken to those scenes and Mm -hmm. dumped there that they're, so they, they can rarely find any evidence and they've only found tire prints twice up and up until this point and no semen uh not that not that i've ever mm-hmm. heard i feel like mentioned. they would say so yes um so yeah so the guy's very careful um okay so uh under t- december 21st 1990 a janitor emptying um, the garbage at a factory complex on Iowa Avenue discovers uh, the nude and carefully posed body Hmm. of a young woman who turns out to be 27-year-old Susan Sternfeld, um, also local sex worker, drug addict. Um, There's no mutilation on her remains. Um, She died of strangulation. The county coroner eventually finds out. Um, Next, 42-year-old Kathleen Leslie Milne um, is discovered uh, on January 19th. Um, A a motorist is driving by and sees her body alongside a road um, northwest of Lake Elsinore. Um, She had been uh, rendered unconscious by several blows to the head and strangled, but she had been dead less than 24 hours. Oh, my God. God, I would hate to be the person who found her. Yeah. So, so horrifying. Um, So then a couple months later, April 27th, a transient stumbles upon the body of 24-year-old Cherie Michelle Pazer, a part-time maid and sex worker. Um, She'd been left in a flower bed in a bowling alley parking lot. She'd been violated, strangled, posed. And this is awful. She had a toilet plunger protruding from her vagina. So this is a person that is uh, intent on degrading, uh, after murdering, degrading these victims. Um, And there's a couple parts in this episode of Real Detective where he is 
Bob Creed is talking and then he just stops talking and stares and then they just cut away to something else. Because he's just like Because he's seen, he's remembering these horrible fucking scenes that he had to come upon and process. Well, what I noticed too is that it seems like he's getting more and more bold with where he leaves the bodies. Yes. Because he's not putting them in a drainage ditch where no one will see him put it there. He's putting it in a flower bed in a parking lot of a like probably busy business. At a bowling alley. Bowling alley. That's just so bold. Yes. Exactly right. Because he's gotten away with it now, how many, 12 times or however many, whatever number I'm on. That's fucking with them. Yeah. So now he's like, I'm smarter than the police. I can get away with this. I'm doing whatever I want. I can't breathe. Okay. So um, now July 4th, 1991, picnickers near Railroad Canyon Road discover Mm-mm. the remains of 37-year-old Sherry Ann Latham. Um, also, uh, has a rap sheet for sex work and drug use. Um, her hand was wrapped around nearby branches, suggesting she was still alive when the killer left her. Oh. Uh huh. Um, an autopsy later reveals that she'd been strangled and they find cat hairs on her corpse. According to her friends, she did not own a cat. Hmm. So now the investigators, uh, are thinking the killer does. Fuck. So they take those hairs and they put them aside. What um, kind of monster murders women, but also have a, has a cat. I mean, it, it kind of goes to show how great cats are. <laughs> they love you no matter what, no matter what kind of monster you are. <laughs> Monsters love them no matter what. Yeah. Um, okay. So they get their first major lead on August 15th, 1991, because a man driving a gray van picks up a sex worker near the University of California, Riverside. And she told investigators that everything was fine at first. Then he becomes angry and starts assaulting her. And she manages to jump out of his van and run down the street. Good girl. So he leaves, but then he stops in a nearby corner and he picks up her friend, 23-year-old Kelly Hammond. So in this is what's interesting. This is this I'm reading from the a, a part of that article, but in the episode of Real Detective, um, when they come upon this body, um, Bob Creed lifts up the, you know, the tarp that's over her, whatever it's covering her, and he goes, "I know this girl. No, she lives in his neighborhood." Oh my. Oh, and he watched her and her mom walk by his house a couple times a day. So he knows her. And that's again where he's like, this guy's fucking with me. Yeah. This guy knows that I'm working on this case. He knows these people. Well, I would think this is someone I know. And this is someone who knows me. Right. Well, the other thing, too, it's smart of you to think. The other thing, too, is in this episode of Real Detective, they do not mention that that either of these women are prostitutes at all sex workers sex workers sorry at all um which i think is really interesting because they basically the story comes in as this girl her the girl that got away um her name is ali white cloud and she comes in and says we were at a bar this is how they and i wonder if it's because that's how either she wanted it presented or Mm. that they were trying Mm. to erase the stigma of sex work definitely but it's ali Allie White Cloud comes in and says, my friend and I were at a bar and we met this guy and she wanted to go home with him. I didn't want to. He offered both of us a ride. I said, don't go with him. And she did. And so she goes to the police and, and gives a full description and describes the van. Fuck yeah. Um, so 
I don't whatever version of this is the truth or whatever. I've I think it doesn't it's really matter though. It doesn't matter, but I also think it's interesting, and I like the fact that Real Detective just presented as it's a girl that almost got pulled into a van and then came and t- and spoke for her friend yeah. to the police. Um, with, with respect. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so so they give um, they do an APB with the description of this guy, and he's the creepiest look. It's the creepiest looking picture because he's wearing like sunglasses. And Wait, the, a photograph or like a drawing? It's a drawing. Uh-huh. It's a pol- police um, sketch. And the van he's driving is 1989 Mitsubishi van, which is one of the weirdest looking vans. It's got that flat front. Is that the one? Yes. Like it. it yes. Like when you're in the front seat, wherever you park, it's like you're right there. I totally know that one. Yeah. And it has a weird, almost like a nautical window in the back, like a little round window. Yeah. Like a creepy van window. Yeah. So, Okay. So now they have way more information about this guy than they've had for since 1986. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a huge, it's a huge lead. Um, they put out the APB, um, and so now now the cops are looking for that van. Oh, they also say, "Is there anything else you can remember?" And she says that when he opened up the back, she remembers seeing um, a red sleeping bag, hmm. and. Um, at most of these crime scenes, they found um, animal hair, which turned out to be a tan cat, tan cat hair on at every scene, and red nylon fibers, mm. which they um, link to and match to the kind of nylon fibers that they find on sleeping bags. What a crazy thing. I feel like there's so many people, and this is what he talks about in Someone Knows Something, where it's like, that is one detail that you wouldn't, why would you bother mentioning that? Yeah. But that is actually really important to the case. So that's really interesting. I thought you were going to say that he, oh, that she said she saw a cat in his van. <laughs> no. Well, just, it's close. It's the other, right. The, the other, other thing. thing. But, but that's when in, you know, they presented in the real detective show, like when she's giving all that information, when she says that thing about a red sleeping bag, he's just like, ding, this is the guy. Love it. So, um, they put out all that information and, uh, um, Oh, so they, the, basically from, from all of the, um, information and the victims that they've had so far, the task force knows this, that all the victims are found raped, stabbed, asphyxiated, nude, posed. They all have ligature marks on their wrists, ankles, and neck. They have one set of shoe impressions. Um, so they know that he carries them to the scene dead Mm. and leaves them there Mm -hmm. um and that he works alone they say that if he's married his my his wife uh would work nights because Mm. then he can just do uh, clearly he can do whatever he wants at night Mm -hmm. and is not being questioned about it or no one's suspicious of him um they never find fingerprints at any of the scenes but um they consistently find cat hair and they consistently find those red nylon fibers It'd be more exciting if I had said that before that the thing I just said. But anyhow, <laughs> um, so on October 30th, 1991, um, they see a man is driving along Summerhill Drive and he sp- sees um, what he thinks is a mannequin. Never um, a mannequin, you it's guys. It's never a fucking mannequin. He goes up and finds that it's the dead body of 35-year-old Delilah uh, Zamora Wallace, um, mother of five. Um, also known sex worker and drug addict. Um, 
she is also uh her cause of death is asphyxiation um then two days before christmas um eleanor ojeda casaris's body is found near victoria avenue which is just down the street from the riverside police station mm. uh she's 39 years old she's been strangled and her right breast is missing no not the boobies I we know. always say not the boobies um so she was also had a rap sheet for sex work and drugs and the cops are positive that he placed her there too oh, close to the police station to fuck with them sure. so the very last victim uh is 31 year old Catherine mcdonald she's found raped and murdered in a field um by a construction worker there they find a set of tire tracks and they find footprints um uh that match a pro wing tennis shoe um they know now he's rushing he's escalating because this is the sloppiest he's ever been um so they process all of that then they go to make um a next known uh next of kin you know uh um, they go to tell mm-hmm. notification for the mm-hmm. next kin. They go to her house. They find the front door open and the house is dark. <gasps> they walk through the house, guns drawn, and they finally find Catherine's three-year-old daughter no. who's been by herself since her mother disappeared the night before hiding downstairs. Oh. So sad. And it's the saddest part of the whole episode. Oh, This little girl baby. who was just hiding alone in a house because her mom didn't come back. Her mom went, took the garbage out and disappeared. Oh, so she didn't even see anything. She's just like, no, no, no. Her something mom, is wrong. Her mom walked outside and never came back inside at night. Oh, my God. Horrifying. Okay. Oh, so, so she was snatched. Yes, she was. And which he hadn't done that before. Right. Um, it was out in front of her own house. So, oh, my God. Um, they have, uh, altogether, they had found five different types of tire prints at these crime scenes. Hmm. Um, so, so Bob Creed decides, he asked the guy to check, is there one type of van that could use all mm. five of those, um, uh, types of tires and one type of van <gasps> comes back and it's a 1989 Mitsubishi and oh it's God. this type of van. Um, it's so weird looking. So, uh, on the night of January 9th, 1992, Officer Frank Orta is patrolling University Avenue, which is um, where a lot of sex workers um, uh, were known to walk. And he sees that exact type of van. Fuck. So he follows it. Can you imagine seeing that? Yeah. that There it is. What the fuck? And it has expired tags. And so he pulls it over and... He uh, talks to the driver a little bit. He asks the driver to open up the back of the van. The driver says, sure, no problem. He opens it up. There's a red sleeping bag there. And the officer places him under arrest. Now, they bring him into the station. And somebody immediately starts questioning him. They don't wait for Bob Creed, who is the head of this task force, for like five fucking years. They don't wait for him to come down to question him just whoever was there i I don't know exactly how it happened so the guy they arrest immediately is like i want a lawyer i'm not saying anything son of a cunt man so bob creed doesn't even get to question him oh but here's what they end up finding out that the guy the driver of this van is a man named bill suff he was born august 20th 1950 in torrance california um according to his high school classmates he was friendly a skillful musician and he graduated 87th in a class of 144. 
So not a, you know, C, sounds like a C minus student. Um, his brothers were very troubled. One of them was a drug addict. The other uh, was a pedophile. Oof. Um, Suff ended up living in Texas. And there in 1974, mm. when he was 24 years old, he and his former wife, former wife were arrested and later convicted for the beating death of their two-year-old daughter. Our youth fucking kidding me he was there sentenced to 70 years in prison but he was paroled after serving 10 years why no um his wife served 20 months but her conviction was overturned when it was found that he was fully responsible for the beating death of a two-year-old child can you imagine not only having your child beat to death by your husband but then getting sent to being held responsible and sent like she's mourning in the most painful way and then she goes to jail and in jail you hurt your own kid if you're in jail for hurting your own kid you're like a pedophile right in man's jail jesus i mean they are like tortured and uh so yeah she didn't she spent over a year in prison as a baby killer um so so when Bill Suff is paroled, he goes back to Southern California. He gets out of Texas and he then gets a job. He's now 41 years old. He gets a job as a stock clerk. Um, and he is known to, uh, be a writer of books. He likes to drive fancy cars. He does community service work. He also likes to impersonate police officers. Of course he does. Um, his neighbors described him as a friendly nerd who was always doing things to help people. What the fuck? Yeah. So basically now Bob Creed is scrambling to find evidence they can hold him on because he, they finally have him in custody, but you know, they, he's going to get, he's going to get out and he's, and more women are going to die. So they, um, look into his background. They find out that he works for Riverside County supply. So he is a clerk at the, the supply company, that supplies desks and chairs for the Riverside Police Department. So when they were putting together the task force and building the task force, every time they would order a desk or some chairs or a chalkboard, well, Bill Suff was the guy that would come and deliver (gasps) it straight into the room where they were investigating his serial murders what i bet he enjoyed that so much he not only enjoyed it he knew exactly what they were doing so the first time they knew that they had tire imprints he changed the tires on his van yeah every time he would go in there because they were constantly at one point they said um uh some officers working on the case asked him if they could use his phone and made a phone call on his phone uh, trying to track something down for the murders he was committing. So he was just this neutral face in the mm-hmm. background that they saw as like, oh, that's the delivery guy. That's the clerk guy. Mm-hmm. But meanwhile, he was all eyes and ears every time he was in that room. He the was photos. looking at everything. He was memorizing all of it. He knew exactly what they were doing. And he knew who they were. Which is weird that he then didn't get rid of the red sleeping bag, kind of. Right. That must not have been a prominent thing right. like up on the board, but it's so amazing because they, they, in Real Detective, they set it in really perfectly where he's in the bat when, like, the first time they have the task force meeting, um, 
Bob Creed clears the room and and then starts telling everybody blah blah blah. Well, he, the, Bill no. Suff is one of the people he asked to leave the room. No, so he's in there like he's working side by side with an like near the police. Oh my god. Um, so. Bob Creed gets a search warrant for Bill Suff's house. And when he arrives there, he's surprised to meet Bill Suff's 18-year-old wife. Oh, God. So this is where it all comes together. She tells the detective she works nights. Mm-hmm. They He's standing in their kitchen. She offers to make coffee. She's like, I need coffee because I'm so tired because I was up all night. He's like, oh, you work nights. A tan cat runs through the room. <gasps> he looks over and sees a pair of pro wing tennis shoes oh. over in the corner where all the shoes are by the back door. Um, so when he's looking out the window, he sees a truck bed that's filled with tires and he's like, what's up with the tires? And she's like, oh, he's always out there changing the tires on that van. So he was changing the tires. Anytime he would see them get a tire imprint, he would change the tires on his van. My God. Then the kicker is he looks at the lamp that's hanging over the kitchen table. Oh my God. Tips it up and sees it's exactly the same kind of light bulb that was left inside his victim. Fuck. And he's like, this is, we're here. So he, um, uh, essentially they arrest him. They get him. He is tried and convicted for 12 counts of first degree murder Good. and one count of attempted murder. The jury, the jury deliberated for 10 minutes. Oh my God. And they came back. They gave him the death penalty. He's on, he's still at on, um, death row in no San way. Quentin mm-hmm. to this day. And the police believe he is responsible for 22 murders, if <gasps> not more in Riverside County. I wonder what, you know, he was gone for those two years. I wonder where he went and what happened. Yeah. That time. You mean the, where there was no bodies found? Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah, there was no bodies found for two years. Yeah. Who Cause knows? that's a long time. And he usually it just goes faster and faster. Yeah. Um, and Bob Creed, who I have to say is just like one of those, I feel like detectives are those, they're like, all the good cops become detectives. It's like the ones that are on the street that are good at it and they're smart and they care. Yeah. And they get promoted and they become detectives. And he so clearly was one of those people that like treated these women, like his neighbors and his friends. And he, when he talks about going to talk to Kelly Hammond's mother, it's like a big part of that episode where he's like, we know these people, we have to tell them we have to now change their life for the worse by us being there and being like your daughter's dead. Yeah. Um, he, Eventually, Detective Bob Creed eventually became the head of major crimes, the major crimes unit in in Riverside oh, wow. County. Um, yeah, and that's the the Riverside uh, serial killer. Wow, it's fucking crazy Isn't and that great. Nutso? And I had no idea. Good job, dude. Thanks. I know I had no idea either. Like Riverside is close by. Yeah, and I've never heard of that guy. Neither. It's so funny. Like the way you find these murders now, I just put in the weirdest searches and you you still don't know anything. I know. What's going on. Also, I do find it fascinating, like, that there's, they know almost nothing about this guy's childhood, which I would love to know because obviously it was insanely fucked up if his two brothers are oh, yeah. insanely fucked up and he is the worst of all of them. I would love to know what kind of evil and insane parents they had and what that situation was. But... Um, I really love that show for how much it really shows. It's like the side that you never get to hear, which is these detectives and like the experience that they go through and the years sometimes that they spend mm-hmm. trying to find these killers. It's just 
it's so insane. There's there's the one on the killer that you did, the the guy. Oh yeah, Ben um, Mendelson. Uh, no. no, his last name is Ben something. Oh, uh, the child Bar killer. Jonah. Yes, yes, yes. Um, that wasn't even what I was saying, and you knew what I was saying. Um, I'm so shocked that I knew that. And it, it, it I, what I like about that show too is that it uh, it gives you little glimpses into the PTSD that you know they fucking have, and so they're not trying to be like, "This is what happened." It's like you. The one no. I the one I did, he starts crying. Yes. No, they suffer terribly. I yeah. mean, Jesus, like that guy having to, it was like a child killer that had multiple mul- victims. Yeah. And every story was horrible. And that one is especially great because the way he, he just, the way he eventually finds him is he starts walking the path that those children mm-hmm. were taking to school and he finds Barjona standing in a security guard outfit at the end of one of those alleys. This is why you make them move their finger from the photo. That's right. This is why you fucking do it. That's exactly right. If you're, if someone knocks on your door, if you get pulled over and they're holding up a badge, you fucking call that number into the police department and, and make sure it's real before you. Yeah. I guess if you're on a rural area, if you're alone in the house. Now you're finding reasons to say rural. God damn it. I am. You're right. Rural. You can say farmland. You're in farmland. Out in the country. Out in the country. Do not. You don't have to. You don't have to. Well, you get to check first. It's your right. And like, I'll tell you what. And those FBI agents flipped that. The one guy flipped open I, his quiet friend behind him. I was like, what are you doing? It kind of looked like they were coming for us to take <laughs> us away bit, a little bit. But the you don't look at the ID when someone flips a thing like that at you. You look at the badge. You look at the yeah. thing where you're like, oh, this is a real cop. And Definitely. you get all caught up in the kind of like the gold badge part. I wonder if you're allowed to say, hand me that, and I want to look at it. What's your name? What's your this? What's your that? Well, a real cop would give it to you. Yeah. What would they have to lose? Yeah. Totally. I mean, they would want you to believe they were a cop. It's why they're showing it to you. Listen. Hey, be Be overly cautious. Instead of... Everyone listening is like, we are. (laughs) Yeah, you've already taught us that. We know <laughs> we did that before. Oh my god, that's all this podcast is. I know. is warning you and scaring you and giving you anxiety, it's and then telling you how to get rid of your anxiety. What's a positive thing from this week? Um, I fucking totally knew it at some point, and now I forgot it. What's yours? I I would just say that this my this past birthday was like one of the best birthdays I've ever had Aww. because. I'm at the age now where, like, I honestly don't care about birthdays. So the last couple have been super low key, if not totally Ignored. doing nothing. You didn't even fucking. T- we were recording that day, and you didn't tell me. I know. I mean, I didn't remember. Well, but why would you? I mean, the- but you should have told me. But you didn't care, so you don't. Yeah, but but that was my, in my mind. I was like, it doesn't matter, and I don't care. But it's actually not true because you, well, first of all, so many people because of your tweet responded to mm-hmm. the lovely tweet you sent to me about my birthday. But there were just so many nice things and not just, um, people that listen to the podcast, but then like my actual friends knew and said lovely things. And it's like when you actually give people a chance to do that, if they want to, um, then they do. And it's really nice. And, and it I, makes them feel good too. Yeah, exactly. It's just, um, it was just lovely. And we had that fun dinner in Washington, D.C. Yeah. That was so nice. Like, what if I just threw up? 
for no reason. It was just like a really lovely kind of um, redefining birthday experience. I love that. Yeah, it was nice. Happy birthday. Thanks. Congratulations. <laughs> Thanks so much. Way to go. <laughs> um, something I love or I'm happy about is uh, when Steven babysits the cats when we go out of town. <laughs> it just makes me so happy because I know they love him and they like hanging out with him. And I know this because... Stephen, the first couple days of us being gone, Stephen babysat them and sent me photos constantly. And I could tell they were happy and they don't run away when he comes in. Um, and then my dad was going to stay at our place for the rest of the weekend. And so Stephen left. And when my dad, who doesn't like cats, came in the door, he said, oh, Elvis came out at first and then ran away immediately. And I, <laughs> I think he thought my dad was Stephen and got excited because the guy who gives him all the cookies was there. Mm hmm. And then realized it was my dad ran away. So thanks, Stephen. It means a lot to me that to have someone there who I really I know <laughs> loves my cats. Yeah. I mean, I just have the best time. And like, I've always told you that like, I'll come over here. You're always like, you and Vince are always like, come do some work, hang out for a while. And then I end up just hanging out with the cats. Aww, <laughs> yay. I don't get anything done. It's just pictures of Elvis, good pets. Yeah. I love it. Have a good time. Mm-hmm. I, you have my Instagram password for the cats too. So I'm like. Fucking go for it. It's great. Oh, yeah. Thank you. So thanks for doing that. And yes, I pay him. Don't worry. I'm not. <laughs> you get paid in loving in my cats being nice to you. Yeah. Um, but you guys, thanks for listening. Yes. And we really appreciate it. And you guys are, this is the best. I can't. This is the best. It's pretty nice. It is. Yeah, I like it. Uh, All right. Well, um, you guys stay sexy. And don't get murdered. Elvis, you want a cookie? Okay, bye. Bye. I love that you might said if we can just. I know. <laughs> I have them here.